0: I just got back from a trip to Rome. Any trip is exciting to me, of course, but this one had a couple of extra points in its favor. First of all, because my parents had been to celebrate a milestone wedding anniversary. They loved it so much. And so I've heard a lot about Rome and what a beautiful city it is. And then second, like the full-on nerd that we all know I am, I took seven years of Latin in high school and college, and I learned a lot about Roman history. So I thought it would be cool to finally see the ancient stuff in real life. Now, spoiler alert, did I remember much about the actual history? No, but... But when I saw SPQR, I did recognize it. So I was proud of myself for that. And boy, did we see a lot of ancient stuff. Our trip was planned kind of at the last minute. So I didn't do a lot of research about what to do or see. Like I didn't look at any maps or make a list or really plan anything at all. So as a result, I was entirely unprepared for just how ancient every little thing is everywhere you turn. I probably sound like an idiot, but as an American living in Atlanta, most of the history that I experience in day-to-day life is by way of old-fashioned ideas rather than old buildings. Like, especially in Atlanta, you know, if something is 20 years old, it gets torn down and rebuilt. Whereas in Rome, every brick and cobblestone was probably, like, touched by Julius Caesar at some point in time. Who knows? We had such a great trip. We saw the Vatican, the Castle of the Holy Angel, where Hadrian's tomb is... We went to the Colosseum and all around the ancient ruins and saw so many beautiful churches. My jaw was seriously just fully dropped the entire time we were there. And don't make fun of me, but I love doing this. So on the last day, we took the hop-on, hop-off bus all around for one last loop of the city We were sitting on the top deck under the open sky and the sun was starting to set as we drove past Circus Maximus. We were watching the motorinos cheat death, like sneaking in between the bus and the cars. And it seemed like somebody was about to get splatted every five seconds as we watched from the top. Soon overhead, this flock of starlings started to gather together, it was getting bigger and bigger. It filled the sky and it started to murmurate. As the flock grew from hundreds to thousands and began to sway and swerve, we stopped looking at Roman ruins and couldn't take our eyes off the birds. A murmuration of starlings is pretty spectacular. It kind of looks like when you see little fish swimming together to fight off of a larger fish. The birds fly in unison. They sort of undulate in a way that looks like waves or like liquid in a a glass. It seems both random and coordinated at the same time. And it, it just seems impossible for that many tiny little birds, like there's thousands of them, to be able to know which way to go. I really don't have the words to describe how mesmerizing this is to watch. I made a video. I'll link that in the show notes. And I found a few other videos that are much better that I'll share as well so you can see what I mean. Murmuration is still something of a scientific mystery. Like there are theories that the birds are banding together to confuse predators like hawks or that their body heat is helpful for roosting or else that they're helping each other find food, but nobody really knows for sure why they do it. It's also unclear how the starlings know when to move. Although there's one theory that each bird watches the six or seven birds closest to her so that she knows what to do. One thing that is for certain is that the action of one starling, like even in the very middle of the flock, can ripple through up to 750,000 birds to change the shape and movement of the murmuration. It seems to me that there are parallels to the hotel business here, both in terms of a murmuration of seemingly individual entities moving at the same time in the same direction, And in terms of the idea that one little bird flying in a different way can send ripples across thousands. I recently heard Romi Bajwani, who is director of hospitality market analytics at CoStar, give a talk about the current state of affairs in the hotel business. One of the things in his talk that stood out to me like a bright blinking neon light was this. As Romy put it, hotel recovery resembles a barbell right now. At the highest end and at the lowest end, RevPar, revenue per available room, is improved over 2019. But in the less differentiated middle, where many of the hotel brands are sort of hard to distinguish and quite reliant on group and office-dependent business, very little progress has been made relative to 2019. So in other words, the recovery is being driven by the economy side of the business and by the luxury side of the business while the sort of messy middle is languishing. Around this time last year, I interviewed Teague Hunter of Hunter Hotel Advisors for episode 14 of Top Floor. In that episode, we talked about economy and extended stay hotels, how they were among the few that really performed well during the pandemic, relatively speaking, and how investors were trying and unsuccessfully to find more of them to buy. Teague pointed out at that time, that was the fall of 2021, that there was very little inventory in that segment to be bought. Cut to now a year later and here are just some of the things that have happened Wyndham unveiled the name of its 24th brand Echo Suites extended stay and they already have like 120 properties in the pipeline Hilton announced Spark just a couple weeks ago which is a new economy scale conversion brand um they announced this from stage at the owner conference that happened in mid November Marriott announced its plans to buy City Express. This is a 152-ish hotel portfolio of Latin American economy brand hotels. And there has been discussion of the potential to expand those economy hotel brands into other regions. And Noble plans to develop nine new Woodspring Suites properties, which is a choice extended stay brand. So I'm sure I'm missing some of the big ones in this class, but the point I'm trying to make is during the pandemic, economy scale hotels didn't completely fall apart. So now everyone wants them. Everyone's creating their own brand and building new hotels or buying them. Remember what we learned from Romy Economy and luxury are leading the recovery right now. The middle, those upscale suburban, maybe hotels that sit like across the parking lot from a big office complex, that middle is struggling. As Andy Chopra from Banyan Investment Group pointed out on a recent panel, there's no telling if those office parking lots are ever going to fill up again. People are working from home. They're not coming into the office every day. So what is going to drive demand for the hotels that are built up around them? It sounds like the big brands are creating conversion options to allow those hotels to take a step down the chain scale without exiting their systems. In other words, all of the starlings are murmurating in the same economy-scale hotel direction. Is there really enough demand for all of this new economy supply that seems to be coming up around the bend? Of course, only time will tell. But what I'm really interested in is seeing who the next little starling will be that is willing to start flying in the opposite direction. Who is going to come into the market with something different and interesting, something that will capture the imaginations of both investors and travelers, or at least the wallets of those folks, (laughs) and transform the messy middle? Who has a new plan for taking those office park, upper mid-scale hotels And doing something with them that is differentiated and has the potential to turn the flock in a whole new direction. If I had the answers, I would not be recording this episode because I would be busy out raising money. But my prediction is that the conversion of these post-pandemic changes in work and in travel, a blossoming recession, all of that's going to come together to create just the right conditions for the next big shift in the murmuration. I, of course, will keep looking for those folks and those ideas in between feeding the birds. Do you have an idea for how the hospitality industry can zig when everyone else is zagging? If you would like to talk about it, please call or text me at 850- four zero four nine six three zero or email me at susan at topfloorpodcast dot com. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at TopfloorPodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 64. Top floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.